Hello, my name's Joshua McClelland and you're listening to Josh Talks. I suppose the first thing that I want to say is thank you for the continued support. It means a whole lot to me. If you want to keep supporting me, here's what you can do. Follow me on Instagram, Facebook, subscribe to my channels on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. You can find me under Josh Talks or Josh Talks underscore. And I suppose we'll talk about last week. So last week we had John Hutchinson on. John Hutchinson is a boxing coach from Thailand. He is part of the legendary Tiger Muay Thai. He trains Peter Yan, who in my opinion is the rightful bantamweight champion in the UFC. And you know we we'll talk about Peter Yan's next fight. We we'll talk about his previous fights. We talk about his career, but we also talk about John's life, and that's the thing that I find most amazing. We hear about John's stories about. How he's trained with all these different boxers. You know, he's trained with Lee Shelby. He's trained with Billy Joe Saunders. He tells a funny story about Billy Joe Saunders running up a mountain and being completely out of breath. Because at the time, he was so unfit. And what John says is, you know, it is a credit to Billy Joe Saunders, the shape that he is in now. Because it shows his mindset. It shows how powerful he is mentally. And we talk about Tyson Fury. We talk about Tyson Fury's upcoming fights. We talk about UFC cards. We talk about absolutely everything. And it is so interesting, in my opinion. And the following week, we're going to be talking to Jimmy Wallhead. Jimmy Wallhead is, is a fighter. He's a professional fighter who, who lives in England. He's part, he was part of Team Roughhouse. He now, trains, he now trains and coaches other fighters. And it's going to be a super episode. I'm really looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to hearing his story. I'm looking forward to hearing about his journey in the MMA world. He's competed in the UFC, Bellator, and a host of other promotions. But now I'm going to talk about the guest that I had on today. I was talking to a man, and he's called he's called Michael Lowry. Michael Lowry plays for Ulster Rugby, and the thing that struck me most about Michael was his obsession about the game. You know, always wanting to improve, looking at adversity, and instead of you know beating himself up about it. Or, or thinking negatively about it, he's seen it as an opportunity to improve. And that's the thing that stands out most about Michael Lowry. Michael Lowry is a great guy. I really enjoy talking to him. Hopefully he comes on again because he was he was just really fun to talk to. Really nice conversation. So I hope you all enjoy it. And I hope you see Michael's love for the game of rugby and his love for Ulster. Welcome to Josh Talk. Well, Michael, how are you today? Yeah, good, thanks. Um, I'm looking forward to getting back into games this week. Um, well, obviously, we played the Northampton Saints there a couple of weeks ago, and now we've got a new challenge ahead now against uh, Connor this weekend in the Rainbow Cup. So, yeah, just looking forward to getting back into playing and, um, yeah, seeing what we can do, really. You know, this week's been... You know, tough enough yesterday, so it was. So I'm in bits today, like. I'm sure. I don't know if you would know the answer to this question, um, but is there any news about when fans are going to be allowed to start coming to games again? Or, um, I don't. I'm not entirely sure actually. Like when fans are being able to sort of come into games, but like it, it's looking positive anyway. Um. You know, you see, like, the likes of over in England opening up again. And I'd say because England are a wee bit ahead of us, then 
once they start to get fans in, then that will be our sort of signal that there will be fans in again. And like, you'd, you'd hope that for the start of the next season, there will be a good few in the end of the grounds. Um, you know, like it's obviously not been the same playing in front of no one. Like, um, you know, it nearly feels like a like it's like a training game. It doesn't feel like the the same sort of atmosphere or anything. So it'll be yeah. Like, I don't I don't honestly know the que- the answer to that question. Um, I suppose it's just when the, the guidelines saw it really. Yeah, of course. Do you think it's a wee bit easier playing with with no fans or? I'd say I'd say it can be like especially if you're you know, like a young player or like getting your first couple of caps definitely would be easier coming in because there's no real obviously there's pressure but like you don't get 18,000 fans like staring at you or screaming down your throat like um, you know so in terms of that I'd say yeah um, you definitely hear each other better like sometimes in in sold out games like remember playing the Aviva um, against Leinster in the quarterfinal and it was 50,000 people and you couldn't hear anything, like anyone beside you. Like, um, so in terms of that, if that's like your first couple of games, like, yeah, it definitely would be easier um, without fans. But it's it's a lot more enjoyable with fans, especially getting wins. Uh, you know, when you win win a game and like the whole crowd stays right to the end, and and you're walking around the stadium after, like, you know applauding them and like they're applauding you sort of thing at the end the one thing I've sort of noticed from from this whole experience is like I don't know if you had watched like boxing or, or mixed martial arts but obviously they have no fans and you can sort of almost you know like when you're watching on TV and there's fans there and you can hear them all chanting stuff you can't really hear like the impact of the shots if that makes sense like the noise from that and then also with rugby you know you can sort of hear the impact on TV from from big tackles and you can hear the players talking like you said and yeah. you know that's a it's a it's a unique experience i suppose for fans like you know watching online yeah like i've watched a few things online like like the ufc and the boxing and it is like you don't realize what they're sort of going through and what sort of impacts because the noise is cancelled out by the fans a lot of the time um you know like yeah like like you say those those shots that you wouldn't hear um you know, we're really sort of personified, like they're out there when there's no fans, and like it's probably a good perspective for fans. I'd say, you know, if you're watching on TV, to understand what it is really like, you can sort of hear it a bit more. What goes on? Yeah, but see, I've I've talked to a few people, and the sort of are saying the exact same thing as you. You know, without the fans, it does almost feel like almost like a training session. Obviously, the stakes are a lot higher, but there's I would say there's still pressure there, but it's different when, like you're saying, there's 50,000 people either booing you or cheering you. It's like a completely different atmosphere. It actually, yeah, it completely is. Because we're used to training at that sort of intensity and it's like we train as, as how we want to play. So, like, there's no fans there watching training. So, like, you're playing, you're, you know, you're doing all your moves and, and you're defending how you normally defend in a game. And you're, so that's all you're thinking about. The only difference is that it's different players that you're, tra- you know, you're sort of training against as such. And obviously, as, as you say, the stakes are higher. So then when the fans do come in, it's like you're in a different environment. You know, you're sort of like, 
yeah, like, as I say, you're sort of taken out of a comfort zone as such. Um, sometimes if you're in your own, in a away game, um, because like a lot of grounds sort of feel the same when there's no fans. Um, you know, like it is, it does just feel like a bit of a training game, but obviously the stakes are higher and um, but the fans just add something different to it. Like you know, even in the warm up, you know, you feel the you feel the sort of tension rising and the you know the atmosphere building. Um, whereas that's just not there, obviously, at the minute. Um, but I'm looking forward to getting that back in some sort of context now. Well, just talking on that, obviously you, you went the ends and you've played in the school's cup and stuff, but see your school sort of experience, were you having, obviously for obviously the big games, there would have been a whole lot of people there, but even for the games on the build-up to the school's cup or even third, fourth, fifth year, was there a whole lot of fans there like watching the team? Like obviously it would have been your the people you're going to school with. Yeah, like... We were lucky, like a few of us, you know, myself, James Hume, um, and a few other lads that have have made it through the system. But like, we're all we were all in the sort of same year that we're lucky enough to go and win um, a few schools cups. Um, you know, all Calum Reid and Dave McCann that are coming through now. Um, you know, like we were lucky enough that so we played like a medallion shield final, semi final, quarter final, and you're you're fifteen years old then, like. But there's still, you'll get maybe, I don't know, for those finals, probably 5,000 maybe, five. Yeah, you'll get it. Most of the school will go. Um, so there's a thousand easy. And then then you've got the other school and then you've got, you know, family there as well. So, like, I'd say those sort of experiences definitely help. And then as as you get older through school, it gets sort of bigger and bigger. Um you know, like our final year of uh, inst, like we were sort of the favourites as such. Um, and I think when you have that sort of title, like there's definitely like throughout the year a lot of hype about it. And I think that sort of adds to the, the fans wanting to go to the games. So like there was a lot of, I remember in the final year, like the, we went when we played a Kingspan, you know, it was. It felt like it was sold out. Like it was so loud as well. Yeah, I, th- I actually think sometimes schoolboy games are a lot louder than in professional games. Hmm. Like even with maybe like you know eight nine thousand people there, you know, like an Innsmouth final, like because there are two Belfast schools going against each other, a lot of the Belfast will go to the game because there's something to do. It was always in you know St Paddy's Day, and you know it would always be something for a family to go and see. Like I remember when I was first year, um, or no, sorry, P7, and I even went to go and see you know, Balamina and BRA play a cup final, but just because it was such a big thing, Skulls Cup. Um, when you were in school, for sure, like it definitely felt like it was a massive thing. Um, yeah, I'd say those experiences definitely helped. Like going into a professional game, especially because they were actually so loud. It was nearly like, you know, football hooligans like, at times. Um, yeah. <laughs> you know, like there was there was some chance that you should not hear, like you should not be saying anymore. Um, That's it. Face paint on, tie around the head. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, bands and all playing. Like it was, it was crazy. Um, but you don't, you can't really get that in professional game. Like, 
you, you wouldn't really get it in rugby anyway. Um, so yeah, as I say, like probably definitely helped going into those professional games for a lot of us. Um, if you played in those Skills Cup games, I'd say. How did you find the actual the school experience? You know, when did when, and then when does it start getting serious? Well, see, like I, well, I'm from Dromore originally, um, so I played a lot of rugby when I was coming through, you know, at Dromore Mini Rugby Club, and I never even thought about go, going to Inst or or any Belfast school really, and then like I sort of just realised like there was potential there for like rugby and I really enjoyed rugby and like when it was P6, P7, like I was really enjoying it and I thought like I sort of spoke to my mom. I know I'm, I was a really young age but I spoke to my mom and my family, the rest of my family and um, like my, my two uncles, the one thing that they said that they regretted is not going to like a Belfast school and in particular, Inst. Um, and so I was like, right, you know what? Like, yeah, we'll, we'll give it a go and see how it goes. And like from first year, it was, it's so tough because like I knew absolutely no one. Like I might might have heard of some people through many rugby, but like I wouldn't have known anyone else. But then once you know, like it's it's a serious rugby school from first year like there's so much talk about skills cup and like i remember you know going to i think it was first year my first year at school uh, first year then sorry and um and got to the skills cup final and they were playing campbell and like that whole build up through school you could see how serious it was but how enjoyable it was at the same time um and that was something like i really wanted to be a part of and luckily, luckily, we had a, a very good first year team and realised that we had potential to be a good side. And and obviously, like once you get to about I'd say third year, then there's chat of like Ulster under sixteens, under seventeens, all that sort of comes into it. All the representative stuff comes into it, and then you start to think, oh, this is like this could be, you know, it's more serious. I think in those sort of like in, in that sort of environment um and then again like you know skills cup oh obviously it's it's serious right through but like it's, it was still so enjoyable at the same time like it felt like there was no pressure but there was pressure as well like it was it was a real weird experience but like i loved every minute of it um and i think i think when you are luckily enough to be in a good team like you realise that there is potential there, but you enjoy having that sort of pressure on your back. Like, um, yeah, yeah. Like I, my my sort of school experience. Like I, I went to like a, an old grammar school. I went to like the boys' model. So see rugby. Like I wasn't really talked about yep. at all. We were more like a football school. But mm-hmm. I remember playing rugby for the boys' model, and what we were, we weren't good by any stretch of the imagination. We had a few people who played from Malone. And then I didn't really play any proper rugby up until I'd say fifth year, maybe lower sixth when I went to Randall's time. But this, yeah. is my, this is, I promise you right now, this is a true story. One of the first experiences I ever had of rugby, I was playing for the boys model. I think it was like third or fourth year. And because we didn't have enough actual rugby players, we started asking footballers to play. Mm-hmm. You know, I was just getting people in. And I remember one of the footballers was playing and someone ran into him 
and I don't think he really knew the rules and he just started throwing uppercuts. <laughs> well, maybe that's a 20 year 30 year ago sort of like thing about rugby isn't it like the sort of stereotype that you might think yeah, honestly I felt I felt so bad for the fella I think he was <laughs> I think he's like their centre he was running like a crash ball and he ran into him and he just started eating uppercuts and he was like ref they're throwing punches <laughs> and that was like my, one of my first experiences <laughs> <laughs> Just because it's a bit rough, like you think, maybe throw a punch or two. Yeah, that was one of them. But then when I went, um, when I went to Randallstown, that's when I sort of met Adam. And I think Randallstown at the time had quite a quite a good team for under twenty. I think there's like four or five Ulster clubs players playing. And the one thing yeah. I noticed between like the Ulster clubs and the Ulster schools, just for, like we played in Stonians, and at the time, like in preseason stuff, a lot of a lot of Ince players would have sort of you know dropped down and played a wee bit of club. But, uh, yeah. but what I would say is like as far as club rugby like or schools rugby sorry it's so organised like the one thing I notice is like even pressing from the line and stuff everything like even the moves it's so well yeah. drilled yeah I th- yeah like I'd say because there's such a reputation on those sort of schools teams like it's built up and like it's nearly progressed earlier than maybe clubs teams would be uh, if you get me, like, you know, there might be a year or two ahead in, in terms of what they've already learned. As such, because there's, you know, there's there's more rugby players that would have played. Like like you said, you know, it would have been, you say more footballers would have played or come in and, and done a bit of rugby. Like, um, you know, I always find, like, when I went to, you know, in, like, there was, because there was such a reputation of rugby, like, it was drilled into everyone, sort of, um, you know, with all the coaches and like there was such a love for it as well. Whereas when there's not that reputation for like being a rugby school, then you might get the odd two or three that have played rugby from their four or five years old. But a lot of players don't really start until they're older. Yeah, you get me. So yeah, Are you sure it was sure it wasn't Adam McBurney that was throwing the punches. No, see, man, that's 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 was school rugby. That's, that's just like, that's the Belfast Dog Grammar School, that's that was. Still does it, like. I, I'm sure, I'm sure. I remember, see, uh, from playing with Adam, like, you, you could tell that they, he was a very, very good player. Like, there was, I remember his time we were playing against Bombridge. And uh, he, he ended up going and sort of having like a, sort of like a choke tackle almost. And he had about four or five people on him, yeah. trying, trying to... Keep, keep the man up essentially and he was in the mall by himself just carrying it yeah he has a bit of yeah real real nice fellow I can say as many good words about him oh yeah 100% yeah he's he's helped me like a good bit like uh, obviously he was a few years older than me but I remember you know training against him in New Forge and stuff and he always had that sort of attitude like that hard working attitude and a bit of dog in him like and you know, it goes a long way, it's, so it does. Yeah, like, like I'm saying, like there was a few club players at the time who were playing, but I think the difference with Adam is like I, I he was playing a year above himself when he was playing with me, but he was playing for yeah, he was playing for the two school teams, he was playing for the tech team, he was playing for Ulsters at the time, and I think Ireland as well. And yeah. they were training after every single train session, just working on his throne, constantly working on the throne, just the posts. Yeah. Like always out before everyone else, last to leave. 
Oh yeah, like that's what it sort of like because of his position, you know, that's his fundamental as such. Like throwing, like he has to be good at throwing. So like he's worked real hard at that fundamental, like that skill of just being able to throw a line out. Like it looks so simple, but like of he's obviously dedicated hours to. You know. Well- what about yourself then? So obviously you're playing you're playing fullback at the minute at school. You were playing you were playing ten. Do you think playing ten has sort of helped you playing fullback? Obviously, because ten, like you have to be able to read the game. Yeah. Yeah, like I think there is a massive difference from going from school rugby to you know, playing your first professional game. Like the speed of the game, the awareness of the game, and just even the general knowledge of of the game, like um, there's a, there actually is a massive difference, and it doesn't. It obviously doesn't look like it from the outside in, but when you're actually in that sort of like in that environment, um, it is a lot more. It is a lot quicker, and you don't have any time whatsoever um, compared to when you're at school. Like, but I definitely think like so there was there was a chance. Well, I saw an opportunity. To be or to play a bit of fifteen, because it wasn't really like I just came through school and like there wasn't a real opportunity for me to crack on at ten. And like obviously, a lot of the time that you'll want an experienced sort of ten um, playing, just because they you know they know the game a lot more and and have studied it a lot longer uh, for being such an important position. Um, so I still had a chance at fifteen and. Like, I just thought, yeah, I'll have a go at it. And as you say, like, playing 10 has definitely helped being able to play 15 and, and vice versa. Like, I think like, I've said this a few times in a few, like, interviews. Like, knowing what a 15 doesn't like and what a 15 will really like as a 10 is, you know, in, invaluable as such. Like, you know, it's, it's, it's taught me a lot from playing 15 what I can bring into my game at 10 now um, and vice versa I enjoy them both like I love them both yeah. I think you made, you made a good point you know as as far as the professional game goes that you know you are probably going to want an experienced 10 and you know like if, if you don't sort of have that experience to start with more than likely you're probably going to be targeted Definitely, yeah. As as a weakness, I'm not like you know you'd be able to handle that no problem. But it's it's sort of one of those ones. It's another thing for a coach to think about as well. Definitely, yeah. Like I remember, I think it was my first start at ten for Ulster, and we were playing against Ospreys, and like the amount of tackles that I had to make that game, just because like I I was targeted, like um you know. Eight's picking off the back of scrum, twelve hammering down my line every single time, like, and it didn't stop for the whole game. Um, but yeah, like you're right. You just, if I was a bit more knowledgeable then, or a bit more experienced then, like maybe I would have done something differently. You know, maybe help that, or like, maybe, you know, swap in position sometimes just to get away from it. Not that I, you know, fear tackling or anything, but like. In terms of, you don't want to be a battered ten at the end of the day, tackling or tackling all the time, when your game is meant to be like attacking and uh, you know control and play and, and things like that, rather than taking hits. Like that's not your real role. 
at 10. Like, obviously, I'll 100% do it, but, you know, it's sort of just being smart. I wish, you know, like, when you're more, more experienced, you can be a wee bit more smart about what you do. I stick, stick, stick one of your 12s in there. Exactly, 100%. They're built for it. Exactly, that's what they're made of. That's what they're for. Yeah, I tell you. So I remember um, we were playing in some sevens competition. And I think the rule at the time for, for club, it was like under 20s, you were allowed to bring in free schools players. Uh-huh. So we brought in Balamina's 10, and I can't remember his name. But I remember like we were playing against Estonians, and they had a big eight plan. He was massive. Yeah. And I remember I was running the line beside 10. And it was either he could take the hit or I could take the hit. Just popped it. I got absolutely nailed. <laughs> <laughs> Took one right in the chest. <laughs> happens like, doesn't it? Oh, he set me up for it. And see afterwards, he's like, yeah, mate, saw it coming. Sorry about it, but you know, had a throw it. <laughs> <laughs> he didn't want him to be smashed, did he? Yeah, 100%. That's, he, he made the call. <laughs> <laughs> but like, uh, so you're saying there about, you know, what a full a fullback likes and what they don't like. What, what would you say to that? What, what is it that they like and, and don't like, in your opinion? Well, I'd say it sort of depends on, condi- like a lot of the con- depend on conditions and you know like how fast the ball is or how fast they're playing like I always find as a 15 like if you're having to work side to side of the pitch at like a ridiculous speed like so if they're moving the ball real quick or you know moving edge to edge like it's difficult because you will get you will get tired eventually and then then things start to open up like little kicks through and things like that will start to open up because fullback can get tired and um, because of they've had to work so hard if the game's so quick. Um, but it's, I suppose it's similar in, in, in any position though. If, if the game's quick, then those sort of gaps open up and like, you know, certain positions will be difficult to, uh, to work in. And on the opposite side of that, like, you know, what's easy is like, or what, you find easier is you know if if a 10 is giving you easy body language to read um so if they're you know kicking straight down your throat like but they've sort of real set up early and it's all the speed of ball is real slow like that that's that should be easy as a fullback but it's when it's like off the cuff um you know and real quick play or like a crossfield kick that's real quick you know quick play as such, anything that's happened at fast pace like can be difficult. Um, um, yeah, like, but if it's like slow ball and, and, and it's telegraphed nearly, uh, then that can be what you want as a fullback. Because if it's telegraphed, then it's you know what you you can sort of pick out what you're going to do next. You're you know you're already thinking ahead of what you're going to do um, before it even unfolds. Whereas if it's fast, you don't really have as much time to think of what you can do next I think as a fullback you know one of the characteristics is you have to be very very brave because there's going to be yeah. certain circumstances where you, you you know that as soon as you cast the ball you're going to get nailed like there's there's nothing else but you have to cast the ball yeah yeah like the high ball stuff like it's yeah like as you say it's just sort of you know just having or being brave and having that desire to actually get up in the air and win it. And then once you hit the ground, like using footwork to beat a guy, as soon as you hit the ground quickly or 
anything that you can do to avoid being smashed, like, or even trying to hold your feet. Because uh, a lot of time at fullback, you, you're so isolated. Like, um, you know, even like even like little grubbers through and stuff that might take a bad bounce and stuff, you're so isolated and there could be three or four lads on you straight away. Um, you know, you have you don't really have any time as a fullback in that sense that you're always your last line of defence as well. Like, um, in terms of that, like you're always sort of isolated. Um well, a lot of the time you will be, um, yeah. like, yeah, you, you feel you you know you're not in that front line where you've got two or three lads beside you. You you know if your your tackle is literally if if they do break the line, like it's and there's a two on one, like it's a difficult position. Those sort of things are just tough. Like, um, but yeah, like. So a bit of advice, probably that you could probably give to a young person who, who who's listening to this. So you're playing you're playing full back and and they've broke the line and like you said, it's a two on one. How do you mm-hmm. make up your mind to when to commit to the ball carrier? You know how how do you make that sort of decision? I think like a lot of the time it's sort of just trying to manipulate the attacker. Um, so if I can like make him play the pass early or a lot of a lot of the time it actually depend who's broken the line um or who's outside the guy on the two on one like a lot of a lot of those things come into mind like if it's if it's a guy if say if it's like a, a prop that's broken the line I can buy myself a wee bit more time if it's a guy faster outside him so I can sort of make him play the pass early and then hopefully get out to this the quicker guy. Um, by like nearly sort of filling them into like that I'm going to tackle them but then dumbing that as such yeah. like little things that are that can manipulate the attacker a wee bit um, look it, it's, it's such a hard position to be in like the two on one like you know if you're in the attacking team you're expecting to score that yeah you know the only thing you can really do is pick the man with the ball and go for him a lot of the time Um. Yeah, like it's such a difficult position to be in. Like, and as I say, the attacking team, you'd back yourself to score every time. I think I've only played full back a handful of times. And, and the one thing that I noticed from playing there is you can sort of see the gaps opening up yourself because you're, you're, quite, you're quite far back as well. And yeah. you're sort of seeing those gaps open up and you can sort of position yourself in a way to sort of almost try and read it. Yeah. Yeah, like a lot of the time you'll sort of, as a fullback, I think like the biggest thing is talk, like communicating then. Like if you've got the last player or not, if you're not there, then the winger will get the last man on the attacking side. Like little things and you, you do see things unfold. Um, you, or you can see things unfold and like, you know, if there's those gaps opened up, then... You know, we've obviously spaced too wide and, and things like that. Um, if they have broken the line, um, yeah, like you, you can, you sort of have an overall picture of the whole defensive line and what it looks like, uh, which is which is good. But it's it's sort of helping the front line out with talking to them because they can't see everything else. They're sort of real focused on what's in front of them. 
how do you make the call as well of, of when the actual when they actually join the line? You know, defensively, obviously, probably. In, when do you sort of make that? You know, the transition of you're not going to sit back and, and, and wait for the kick. You need to fill in. It's sort of just being able to realize like when we're sort of numbers down and and like say you don't want to close the line too early because you know then that, that that kick opens up for them to put through and then that's when you're chasing chasing back and chasing yourself or chasing tails like um so it's just like sort of having that ability to make them throw the pass out to the wide channel and then being able to close on the pass without them being able to get a kick away. So it's just really timing and like sort of making them aware that there's they're not going to be able to put a kick in. So I want you to throw that pass, but I know that I'm going to be there anyway to make the tackle as well. So it's like, it's a lot of chat from 15 to your winger or, or to your outside back who's there as well um, that they can, they can go and tackle the guy in front of them. Mm-hmm. But, and not have to worry about drifting out wide because they know that I'm there. So it's like little things that help them that can go they can go and be a bit more aggressive or something. Yeah. Yeah, if you get me. Yeah. Oh, of course, yeah. So I know we're, we're sort of jumping back and forward. We about for for your life. So you're 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 winning you're winning you've won you won the medallion. And then up through through schools, see, and I think it's a, is it fourth year or fifth year, not quite yeah. sh- sure. Um, but see, during that time, were you representing All Star at the younger age groups at that time? Yeah, so medallion, I would have been yeah fourth year. Sorry, so I got asked into the Ulster under under seventeens to train with them when I was in third year. Um, so I was fourteen. And I got asked to train with the under seventeens then, um, and then since that sort of went through the underage age, or the underage groups of under seventeen, under eighteen, under nineteens, um, and then academy. Um, but like there was probably a wee blip in there, um, like everyone goes through probably like a bit of a roller coaster. Um, you know when when you're in that sort of like in that group as being you know on under 18 under 19 like you expect yourself nearly to be you know in that national training squad or like playing for Ireland under 18s or whatever um and that like that didn't come around and I saw like a few few of my mates would have got it and like it was so disappointing like when I didn't get the call or or anything because you know you know yourself, like you, you believe in yourself that you're good enough, and you know, like when that doesn't come, it's such a disappointment. Um, but again, yet it's probably motivation as well. At the same time, like, like after after that happened, like it just motivated me to get get into that squad or get into that um that position uh, again. So like yeah, there was definitely was like I was lucky enough to be you know involved in those squads and like we had a really good under nineteens into pro series where we won it, um, and then again like under twenties, like you know personally I felt like I was, you know you know when you're playing well and like 
you feel like you're playing well and so like again I didn't get picked for the Irish under 20s and I was like why why is this like I don't I don't understand why when you feel like you're playing well it's not like you're playing badly and you accept that you're playing badly and that's why you're not picked but when you're playing when you feel like you're playing well and you're not picked then that's like you really question yourself like why why is this happening um but like those little setbacks I think are quite good because eventually I got I did get the call up into the Irish 20s it was like it was the like last game of the World Cup but like it was still good to be involved in um but those little things probably motivated me um since school just to be a bit better and everything that I sort of do like daily life and stuff like just even trying to get those wee one percenters of course I think one thing that sort of stands out to me is you know like just for for my own experiences and listening to other people talk you know adversity makes you better it makes you stronger all, all the wee yeah. knockbacks it just makes you it makes you a better person it makes you want to try harder it makes you want to work harder definitely and yeah, it, I think Sorry, Sorry, um, yeah, I think like sometimes when you're in a good position, like you can get too comfortable sometimes. And then, you, you, yeah, like you say, like you need that way sort of blip as such to be like, hey, I actually need to do something about this kind of thing rather than just being comfortable, like just taking yourself out of your comfort zone constantly. So I was um, I, I was recording an episode with a fella called Andy Mitchell. Andy Mitchell's currently playing for Lauren in the Irish League, but it's full-time football now, so he's, he's, he's getting he's got a full-time wage front. But I remember one of the stories that, that he was telling me, so I'll run you through his life really, really quick, because I think it links in with us pretty well. Uh-huh. So at the start, at 12 years old, he, he was playing he was playing football for, I think it was like Green Island, and all these teams are coming to watch him, and he's going on all these different trials, and Man City come in for him. So it's really, it's not normal, in football, you know, to be brought over before you're 16 because it costs too much money. Yeah. So Man City took him over at 12 years old with his entire family and moved him over to Manchester to play full-time football 12 years old, playing with other kids that were at his level, like at an elite level. Yeah. So he was he was playing for Man City and it was going okay. And the Sheik took over. So a whole lot of money came, in, came into Man City. And uh-huh. one of his first experiences was they put him on a flight in the Dubai to go play in this massive tournament. And on the plane, they give him like a gift bag and the gift bag had like Sherwatsky crystals at like hundreds of pounds, you know, in this like wee goodie bag. Yeah. So they blew him on like a private jet to go play against this team at under 18s. They won the tournament. He came back and Man City says to him, you know, we'll want to sign you. We want to keep you on. But if we're being completely honest, we don't know if there's a space for you to play at the first team because at that time they were signing like Rubinho, Sergio Aguero, just all these yeah. top-class, world-class footballers. So he said that's no problem. So a couple of teams came in for him and one of those teams was Rangers. So he gets the Rangers and they signed him for, you know, the, the youth team. Yeah. They signed him for the youth team and he's playing He's playing for them. And he sort of thought, he knew he was going to go play youth team football, but he thought there'd be a pathway to the first team. So he's there, and for some reason, he, he can't get a look in. He can't get a look in playing for the youth team, and he makes it the reserve football, still not getting a look in. And they're just not playing him at all. And the reserve manager brings him in and says, listen, we're going to let you go. 
at the end of the season. You can stay at your contract or whatever, but we're going to let you go. We don't think you're you're quite good enough. And from that, he sort of thought, Andy sort of thought to himself in his own words, you know, he was going to work a wee bit harder in training, you know, show them that he really wanted to be there. Mm-hmm. So he started working harder, started going, started going to training, you know, on his days off. So there was no one else on the ground, just him. And mm-hmm. on one of the days, the first team manager was there or one of the coaches in the system, Andy, we need a, we need someone just to come up and, and play for the first team here. We just need a body. If you'd be happy enough, goes up, does really well in the first team training session. He's still not getting a look in from the reserves, by the way. Starts playing, training with the first team. The first team keep inviting him back, inviting him back. And he's not playing for the reserves at all at this stage. And the first team manager likes what he sees and gives him a first team appearance for Rangers. Class. You know, it's one of those things. And the reason I brought up that story is, you know, he had all that adversity. They told him that they weren't going to sign him. Yeah. And he ended up going on and making, I think it was like 13, 14 appearances for Rangers before moving to a team in England. But it was that, yeah. you know, sort of sticking at it and pushing on. Definitely. Like, it's mad how quickly things can change as well. Yeah. Like, you know, obviously, in like such a low place and then to such a high place in a short period of time, really. Like, um, but yeah, but that's because like he's you know worked hard again and like sort of just you know taking that like it's, for some people it can it can make them crumble, but some for some people it can you know bring the best out of them and obviously probably the best out of him. Yeah, it's even the same as yourself. Listen to your story and and you talking about you know like not not getting into the Irish setup. And, you know, like, wondering, like, you know, playing well here, you know, why aren't they giving a chance? And your response to that, instead of shying away, was, do you know what, I'm going to work harder then? Yeah. And that's a credit to yourself, because it shows that you've got something inside you that wants more. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like, I think it's always, you know, something that you can pride yourself on is, you know, just working hard. Like, if, if you were accepting, like, not working hard, then it, it's 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 it, like you say like it's in some people's mindset it's in some people's personalities to work harder or like some people have it and some people don't but like I think you know talent can always take you so far and then you know it's how hard you work after that really um that can sort of bring you to that sort of next level for for every for everyone in sport. I was reading something, and I hope you don't mind me bringing it up. So I think it was an interview you did with, with Rugby Pass. Yeah. And the interview you did, you sort of said there was a few times throughout school and stuff where I don't know if it was coaches that you were referring to or other people, but they were mm-hmm. sort of saying, you know, he's, he's not big enough or he's not strong enough. You know, how did you yeah. get past that? Well, yeah, like there were a few incidents that, you know, I was – Told I was too light, too, like, not strong enough, uh, you know, not big enough, like, and, like, again, that was just motivation for me because, like, I think I always look back at, like, Conor, what Conor McGregor sort of talks about. It's just, like, his complete belief in himself. Um, like, no matter what anyone said, that, like, it doesn't matter what they think. Like, it's if you want to do something like you'll do it if you have that belief if you actually you know visualize it believe it and it'll it'll come true and like 
Yeah, to be fair, I was really, really light when I first came into the under seventeens. But like, I was, you know, fourteen years old, like at that time, and like I knew I wasn't going to be massive or anything. Um, so like, I still decided that right, okay, I can get stronger, fitter, and faster for sure. But like, I think them working on fundamentals of you know, my skills for those positions that I was looking to play, you know, it was passing, kicking, you know, tackling, like the basics of the game that if you can do them really well, then why, why does size matter? Why does weight matter if you can do those things really, really well? Um, Because that's the basics of the game at the end of the day. Like, yeah, you might lose a collision once or twice because 120 kilos is running over 75 kilos. But like, if you have your technique right, you'll still take him to ground. Like it, it's you know a lot of it is technique, and yeah, sometimes it will be a, a thing of like size will get the better. But like a lot of the time, for a particular position anyway, it's skill, and like just working on those fundamentals. I uh, like sort of took over those few years and. Like I knew I wanted to get stronger as well. Like it was always just something that you want to be, you know, you want to be, you want to take that out of people's minds, like that you're not, you know, not strong enough. Um, and I feel like I am strong enough now, but obviously the weight thing, like there's not much you can really do about 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 that because I think it takes away from it. C- it could take away from other aspects of your game that you're good at, like. You know, if, if I'm 75 kilos now and what's what's five kilos like really going to what's what's it going to do like or a couple of kilos even like what's it really going to add? You know, it's different if you're putting on like 15 kilos and change the position or something like but for the sake of a few kilos, I don't think it's worth losing anything else for. Get me? No, of course. And the one thing I was thinking about when when you were saying all that, that's, I remember talking to Adam and Adam was sort of saying that, you know, he, he put on more weight, but then he didn't, he didn't really like the way he felt with that weight on yeah. him. It was more about him finding his fighting weight. You know, what, what weight was he most optimal? But then yeah. when, when thinking about you, you know, five kilos isn't, isn't really that much give or take. And, you know, if, if you're still doing the things that you do very well, and I think one of the things that you do very well is after contact, you're still making yards after that. Yeah, and I think that's one of the things that you do very, very well. So after receiving a kick, as soon as contact comes, you're still pumping the feet and you're still making yards. So I don't think an extra five kg would get you that extra yard. I really don't. Yeah, yeah. Like it's just sort of being smarter. Like you're not gonna run straight at 120 kilo prop. Like it's just you know not smart. But if you can sort of get to his weak shoulder or even get outside him, like. It's just you using sometimes your size to your advantage and what works for you. Like a lot of the time, I'll like try to duck under tackles and stuff, like yeah. just because I'm at that sort of size. I think one of my favorite ones, I think it was the Glasgow game. And it was, you sort of pretended to like dummy kick it and sort of like sidestep, like horizontally and just went straight through the gap. Yeah. yeah like it's like it's something that I've worked hard on as well like just you know because I'm not going to be big or anything it's just being able to beat people like being able to beat defenders um, 
you know, because I know I'm not going to be able to win a collision, as in, you know, hitting a line over the top of somebody, like, it's just not really my sort of game. Um, you know, everyone's, everyone's game's different. Yeah. Well, I think that's, that's it as well, you know, in your position, no one's going to be expecting you to run a straight line off a 10. Yeah. You know, in the contact, you know, you're not going to be taking crash ball. You'll, you'll have mm. something else to that. But as, as far as taking the ball, running, sidestepping, whatever, you know, I think you've got that down to a T. Oh, there's plenty more to work on, but thanks for that anyway. So we'll, we'll move on then. And I think uh, one of the things I want to talk to you about, because I think a lot of people would would find it interesting as I was reading and it was about dealing with like a niggly injury for over the course of a year. I think that was just when you were breaking in. Was it breaking into the Ulster setup or was it uh, the academy? Yeah, so after school, um, I'd uh, broken into the academy, got an academy contract. And like I knew through school, like I, I had this real weird pain and like I just couldn't, I just didn't know what it was or anything. And like I got through it okay and like, Played played each game fine, but I was like in agony. Like you know, even those like the Skills Cup final and stuff, like complete agony. Um, but obviously I wasn't going to miss out on that. Like I didn't want to miss out on that. Uh, it was a groin injury. Sorry, just to um make you aware. Like so, it was a groin injury into like like pubic bone area. Um, and it was the worst thing ever. Like even getting out of cars, like getting out of bed, turning in bed, like would get this, send this real sharp pain. Um, and like, like I, the only way I could get through it was by like warming up, playing the game. But then after the game, like I felt crippled, like, um, and this went on for ages. And then like, I had no strength left in it whatsoever. Um, so I, I said to the physios and then it was meant to be like, so they took me out of like a 12 week period and I was just like, right, we're going to rehab this injury um, and see how far we get along. And because it was, it was, it was a proper chronic injury. Like it, it just took so, so long and it ended up being about nine months, I think. Um, and that also affected my Irish 20 stuff. Like mm-hmm. um, that injury, like even though I was in and out, like playing well and stuff, like, and through those sort of camps, those Irish twenties camps, you know, I still had that sort of injury, um, and it was it was tough, like because you see, I saw at the time, like I saw a lot of lads starting to play the first few games for Ulster, and you know, like the likes of Tom O'Toole, like he started playing, and like it was, it was great for them, like it was great to see them going so well, and stuff, but like it was, it was tough for me to take that, like why, you know, why am I not there? Um, and it sort of again drove, drove me on like to to get it right um, but it was a real tough period like um, you know because one week you'll be fine and then the next week you couldn't get out of the car again without being in pain like lifting my leg and stuff it was, it was just a real weird injury and I think it was just like I was so oblivious in school to it like I was just like oh it's grand like I'm fine Um but not being aware of injuries really when you're young, like you, you just don't really think about that. True, don't like. No, definitely not. You sort of just grit the teeth and, and bear with it. Yeah, like you, you. I think 
with maybe you know bone injuries obviously you'll you'll know but like little injury or not little injuries but like muscle injuries sorry you're just so unaware of of it really you just don't know what to do either like yes there's physios but like you don't really you don't really understand yeah do you know what caused that i think it was just like overuse so you know just going into 10 probably like I was kicking a lot more because obviously one when you go through school like the kick kicking becomes more of a thing and like I've started to kick a lot more um, and then obviously just running more training more but not actually strengthening muscles around it to help prevent injury and that's what I think that's what happened to it in the end it's just overuse but not strengthening the muscles around it and then um, was was the remedy for that just building up the muscles around it, like with physio, or did you need like an operation? Or um, there was talk of an operation. Um, I think the operation's like so expensive to do, so we, we just took the rehab, and it was a period of like twelve weeks. I think I think it was twelve weeks with no running, so it was just complete deload of everything, and literally just building me up again from scratch. So like, you know, doing little um, gym exercises just to, you know, strengthen the hips, glutes, core. And I did a lot of core work. And like mm-hmm. ever since, I think like, having a strong core is so, so important for like, you know, if, especially if you're a kicker, like having a strong core just so other muscles aren't doing a lot of the work. So like I felt like my groin and like that pubic bone area was was taking a lot of the heat, whereas it should be your glutes firing and your you know your hips firing a wee bit more. So sort of, it was a lot of strength, and then sort of built up over the months, and it took ages, but like it's definitely it was definitely worth it looking back now. And it was a, to be fair, it was a it was a period of um, you know I actually got a lot bigger. Um, upper body in that period and stuff and like I got a lot stronger so it was actually a good period like um, it was nearly a blessing in disguise mm-hmm. in, in some sorts it's one of those ones that injuries are are never nice to deal with but especially when you're playing rugby it's, it's sort of one of those ones where they sort of go hand in hand yeah yeah you know? definitely you make the most of those sort of injuries as well like you know, it's obviously not great being injured, but like, well, what else can you focus on then? Oh, I can focus on static passing if my, if my foot's sore or ankle's sore or whatever. Um, you know, focus on my passing and my upper body strength and smash that and get a lot better at that. And that's a positive. You know. What was it like as well as, as, as we're sort of, we're moving forward quite quickly and, this is on a completely different different topic, but you know, going in the Ulster's sort of preseason this year, and obviously with all the restrictions and stuff, I think the Ulster team were was it in groups of six? Yeah. You know what what, what was that experience like? It was such a weird experience. Like uh, like the whole lockdown experience was was mad. Like we um I found the first lockdown probably like not tough, but sort of tough in terms of the question when are we going to start back like 
no one knew when we would be back because it was like mid-season. Like, is that the end of the season? Or, you know, are we going to be back next month? Or, you know, and it was just real uncertainty. And, uh, yeah, so like after that sort of lockdown period, we we, we, we did real well in terms of being able to socialise as in, you know, through Zoom and like all these little quizzes and, you know, like like everyone did, really. Um, but, you know, as one team and stuff. Um, and like little skill challenges throughout that when we weren't together, like just to keep us sort of connected as such so it wouldn't be like completely weird when we all got back together. Um, but yeah, like, that, you know, it, it did take a while to get everyone back into the swing of things. So we started off in groups of six for a couple of weeks. And it was literally just, you know, like straight lines sort of running. Um, we weren't even, we weren't allowed to pass the ball to each other or anything for the first, like, I think it was two weeks. Um, so it was actually just like straight line running. And we had our like individual ball that we would throw against the post and go and get. Um, and then it started to build up pretty quickly, to be fair, after that, once we started to go, get the green light a wee bit. Mm-hmm. And then... So then we went to groups of 12. So the backs were pretty much together again. And then it built up again from that and over the next couple of weeks. And probably took, what, two, maybe um, a month or two to sort of get the team back training together again. Um, but it had been so long since we had had team training and everyone was just, you know, it was, it was real rusty, like, um. It would have been so long that since we were together. Yeah, such a weird period of time. Looking have, back at it now. I have to ask, who was in your group of six? <laughs> I can't even remember. Um, I think Ian Madigan, Stu McCluskey, Stu Moore, Dave Shanahan, um, uh, I'm missing one, aren't I? I think that's, yeah. Well, that sort of group, I think, it was definitely... You know. I, I was oh, reading, and Rob Alkin. Rob Alkin as well, I think. I was reading that uh, you and Ian Maddock had a kicking competition. Who won Who won those? Well, he he put me under the bus there on social media, like <laughs> saying that I buy all the coffees. But to be fair out. We've well, we've had we've had our fair share wins each, like so we have. They're good competitions, though. Like you know, Mads has been great to have in. Like, um, no one knew what to expect, but but like he's been you know a good leader and a good winner. I, that was one of the signings that I was buzzing that Ulster made when, when they announced it. And the game that sort of stands out for me, this was before he played for Ulster. It was, mm-hmm. I can't remember what the competition was. I don't know if it was league or it was this quarter semi-finals, but it was Ulster versus Leinster. And Brian Adriscoff got a real bad injury. I think he got knocked out. Mm-hmm. And then Ian Madigan came on and he was sensational against Ulster. He was very, very good. Was it against Ulster, was it? Yeah, it was against Ulster. I can't, I can't remember that game, but yeah, no, he's been brilliant to have in now. And then as as we're moving forward, we'll talk about this. We'll talk about this. We uh, a season. 
Actually, before we talk about the season, tell me about your debut. <laughs> so, my debut didn't go as planned. Um, I much prefer talking about my first start. <laughs> but, uh, no, my debut, so, my debut was against Munster when we got absolutely hammered. Do you remember that? Like, we got thumped. Um, like, 60 points or something. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, uh, like obviously, like lads were completely gutted, like disappointed, and like I came on at half time. I think we were just after half time or something, and we were like thirty points down, thirty forty points down. Like, and I was like, right, I'm just gonna have, you know, enjoy, go enjoy myself here. Um, and I thought it was like brilliant that I was even being able to get a run out for Ulster, you know, my first start for Ulster, and it was the same as James Hume. And uh, like even after the change room, even after the game in the change room, we were like, "Oh, you know, that's like it's it's kind of class that we've you know we've got our first start for Ulster or our first uh, cap for Ulster." Sorry, and everyone else is like completely gutted, like you know, <laughs> like you know, hundreds of caps um, for Andy Warwick, um, you know, a few other boys like you know, real big players and I've played a lot of games and like that was just it, it, it was embarrassing but it, like for James and I we were like this is so cool <laughs> like yeah, we're involved <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah no I much prefer my first start like against uh, Leicester Leicester Tigers in the Heineken Cup that was an unbelievable day like I'll never forget it well, um, what was it like so like I obviously lived with a few few lads and it was so chill before and like I never even thought about the game um, and just yeah I went to the game it was a shocking day weatherwise like it was raining and like they had Ben Youngs and George Ford playing 9 and 10 like you know obviously international kickers <laughs> and, um, my first start at 15 and I barely played 15 at all like and you know, I was obviously thinking, like, they're going to be kicking the leather off the ball to me, like, all day. And they did. <laughs> and they did. But, like, I really enjoyed it. Like, it was it was such a cool experience. Like, we got the win. And, like, I think that was my real first taste of, you know, like, Heinen Cup. Like, you know, winning a big game as such. And just to be involved in that with the crowd. Because, like, you, you'd grow up and go watch all those big games, you know, like Ulster v Claremont and the Heineken Cup and Ulster v Leicester and stuff. And you're like, this is something I want to be involved in. And then it came around and it was class and it's definitely something I'll never forget. What was your sort of moment, you know, like, this is it. If you know what I mean, you know, this is, this, I'm playing for Ulster now, you know, when was that sort of, you know, like that realisation where it sort of just hit you? Um... Well, I was like, so I was absolutely blowing in like the first 10 minutes. And like, it, it doesn't really hit me until usually like after the game or what's, you know, what we've done well and stuff like, or we've done this or we've won a big game. It doesn't really hit me. But I remember absolutely blowing in like that first 10 minutes. And then it was Will Allison that came over to me and was like, right, take a breath. <laughs> and then that's when it sort of hit me, right? This is this is real. Like this is like we're in a big game here. Like, uh-huh. uh, 
because you know you can sort of just be real focused on yourself and like not thinking really about what you're doing like thinking about um not what sort of game you're playing like not how big it is because i think that can be a bad thing sometimes like just it's a game it is just a game of rugby at the end of the day um but like once you ref- i think once you reflect on those games like you realize like how big those games were at that time yeah you were part of it yeah yeah it's one of those ones I'm sure like you've got a very long career ahead of you but it's one of those things that and years down the line you'll be able to reflect back and say I played in this game I played in that game played against this player played with this player you know it's yeah. a lot of real good memories yeah yeah hopefully uh, hopefully there will be a lot more memories to come like um, but yeah no it's cool like even just like being able to say you or you've played with like Rory Bess and stuff. Obviously, they were he's retired now, but like down the line, I'll appreciate that more a lot more probably. Than at the time, you're like you don't appreciate it. I don't think. Yeah. What What was he like as a as, as a captain? Yeah, re- really good. Like just just real calm. Um, you know, it was always like just wouldn't really you know, be real vocal as such. He would, but once he spoke, everyone listens. Um, you know, everything that he said was important. Like, so he wasn't a, someone that was just talking for the sake of talking. Like it was right. He's talking. I, I really need to listen here and clue in. Um, you know, it was all real important stuff. And like, he was just real calm. He was, a, you know, if you're, if you were uh, under pressure or anything, like, you know, get the group in real well and just say, you know, take a breath here. Um, you're just real calm through anything, really. And I thought that was probably the biggest thing I took from uh, Rory. Yeah. And then as, as, as we're moving forward, we'll, we'll talk about this season. And this season you have voted into the Pro 14 Dream Team. Yeah. <laughs> it was a bit of a surprise now, but... Um, I'll take it anyway. I'll definitely take it. I was, yeah, I was happy with that. Now, um, like, you you obviously don't get told anything until it's actually out on social media. Uh-huh. Um, and then, you know, you get text through and stuff. Like, you know, I was, I think I was in the gym at the time when it was, when it came out and I went back on the phone after and like, I had a lot, like a lot of messages from a lot of my mates and family and, and all sorts saying, oh, well done. Um, but yeah, like it's one of those things that like you don't really think about, and you just sort of like you don't want to get too ahead of yourself, and like you know what I mean. It's sort of just trying to stay, you know, like level headed as such. Like those, you know, the highs are never too high, and the lows are never too low. Yeah. But yeah, no, it was a nice surprise, now. Oh, I think that's good advice. You know, there, there's there's a lot of things that you can take away from from this podcast, and I think probably the thing that stands out the most is is your work ethic. And you know, for for young people listening, what's a good practice that they can have? You know, you know, to put in place to develop that sort of mindset. Um, yeah, like I think, like I've said before, like what sort of if I was to say what advice would I give to young people, like it would be work hard at the fundamentals, like your skills, because that's 
what will be on show on, on the pitch. Like, and I think like if you really want to get out, if you like, if you really want to get something like out of what you're doing, then you you do need to put the work in. Like, um, you know what you put into something is what you get out of it. Like, I'm a big believer in that. Like, um, you know, and like I, I really enjoy getting well trying to get the most out of myself and people around me. Like, I think, yeah, just, I, I just enjoy working hard because you feel so much better after. Like, I think when you put some, like, 100% into something, like, you do feel so much better after. Like, if you go to the gym and you're, like, half hours, like, you'll you'll come out thinking, right, I, I really could have done that a lot better. Or, you know, it's just, I wouldn't say being a perfectionist is like the right word because I don't think anyone can be perfect, but like as close to perfect as you can be um, is always in my mindset sort of. And I think like, like reading a lot of sort of books and like listening to a lot of like the top athletes is probably, um, you know, sort of give me that mindset just to like work hard, uh, you know, have, so basically the summarize, like, just attitudes probably um working on the fundamentals and just enjoying working hard and on the fundamentals it's probably my big three um to take out of that really one of the words that would spring to mind for me is being obsessed yeah you know, obsessed obsessed with self-improvement and self obsessed with being better and i love the comparison you made at the start you know with Conor McGregor and, you know, the visualization, you know, we're always trying to go that next level. Yeah. 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 Like he, he is like, if you can see it and you can believe it, then it'll come true. Like, um, and like that is, that can't be difficult to do. Like he's another, he's another level when it comes to that belief. Like he's, you know, real out there with his belief. But if he says like, if you have the courage to say it, then, you know, that's when it's really going to, and flourish for you. I actually listened to um, the. Do you know Kevin Sinfield? I don't, unfortunately. No. Um, well, he's he's a rugby league player. Um, you should give his uh, podcast or not podcast. The, it was the high performance podcast. Uh-huh. where they're talking Sinfield and his podcast. You well, know, what he talks about it's brilliant. Like, um, you definitely get a lot from it there. Um, he was talking about all like attitude and enjoyment and you know humility and all that sort of stuff like i was uh, i think it was yesterday it was i was talking to um sorry who i was talking to a fella called john and uh john hutchinson and i don't know if you've seen it on my instagram but john john is the boxing coach of uh peter yan who recently lost his title his bantamweight title but he lost it by like a dq I don't know if you've uh-huh. seen that. No, I didn't. No. But um, so John has this thing that he does is where he writes everything down, but he also writes down like all of his goals. Yeah. And goals that he has for his fighters. And, you know, like one of the first times that he, meet, he met Peter Jan, he wrote down on the board, we're going to be world champions. Yeah. And it was one of those sort of cool moments where he can sort of look back at it and say, you know, we did it. 
Like, yeah. like the, the person he beat for the world title was Jose Aldo, who Conor McGregor knocked out. You know, they beat that. They beat yeah. him for, for the world title. And it was yeah. one of those cool moments. And, and another one of the cool moments that I want to touch on, because we were talking about it in the podcast, and I thought it was class when he was talking. He was, he was talking to um, Peter Jan, and they're in the corner, and it was in the fourth round. And he sort of, he sort of whispered into Peter Jan's ear, "Look over, look over at your family. We're doing this for your family." Mm. And Peter Jan, you could see him sort of look over at his family. That round, he wins the fight by knockout. And you yeah. know, it's, it's all it's all captured on video, and it's sort of like those wee things there that you see the motivation behind it. Like, yes, you're making a career for yourself, whether it's playing rugby, football, fighting, whatever, whatever you're doing. But ultimately, you're working for your family. You're working to make their lives better. And I think that's a great goal as well. Definitely. Like it's something you can always like emotionally connect to is your family. Like if something's going horribly wrong or like you're in a like a big moment or something, like 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 you say in that in that match, like it can always emotionally connect your family. Like some for some reason it always gets the better or the most out of you, like. Yeah. It's at, you know, from I think from from doing this podcast, I've got to talk to a whole lot of really cool people like, like yourself and others. And and the thing that sort of comes to mind when you're talking to successful people or people who are doing well in life, it's almost the obsession, the determination, the work ethic. That's the thing that sort of shines through most when you talk to these sort of people. Yeah, like I think it's you always see these things, don't you? Like it's it's always like oh work hard, all that sort of stuff. You always see it. And it's maybe cliched, but it's it's so so true. Like, if you you know if you want to get something out of something, then you actually you do need to put the work into it. Um, you know, it, things just don't arrive at your doorstep like for for nothing. Um, I always feel like you do get out of what you put into something. Yeah, I I couldn't agree more. I think something that you always hear is that when you're thinking especially especially about athletes you're like oh you know he was just lucky you know he was in he was in the right place at the right time the right scout saw him the right person yeah. saw him you know that could have easily went the other way and that's what you always hear is lucky but seeing the vast majority of it there's there's nothing lucky about it it's a lot of hard work behind the scenes that no one else sees that only that person knows yep. about you know the early morning gym sessions the constantly grinding it out the watching of tape the youtube videos the motivational yeah. podcast, everything about that. Yeah, like it can be like I was listening to Kobe Bryant um podcast. Obviously, it was a while ago, and you know, he it was just his obsession with the game. Like he's you know studied the game, every single detail on a on a laptop. Um, you know, literally down to the finest margin of like studying his opposite number or his opposite position. Like, can he get anything, any little cue or detail that is gonna take him past him, or you know, you know, little things? And like, people don't obviously see that, but then they say, when they see it on the game night, oh, he's just gone past him. But like, it's because he he's put in so much work into knowing what that guy does wrong or what he can get out of that through videos and you know, and just constantly practicing it, like. Yeah, there's. I think there's, especially Kobe Bryant being one of the greatest ever, and there's so many different examples, and and, and there's a couple of things. Like, 
I don't know if you'd follow much football, but you know, like a lot of video analysis and then with keepers and penalties. Yeah. Knowing exactly, like, I think that's, that's, a, that's a real weird one because I know, say, they pick five, six penalty takers and they have to know where every single one of those people are going to go. And a lot of it is guessing, like, there is a good wee bit of like chance in it, but it's also yeah. looking at, like, at the probability of how that's going to play out. Yeah. And it can literally be a cue of what the, the striker does in that situation. Like, he might, you know, like have a slightly different run up for hitting it top right corner than they would if he had, you know, hit a top left corner. Like it could be the, the smallest detail, but if you're doing the work through video, you might pick that up. There might be nothing in it, but there might be something. If I, if I was to talk to you, and obviously we'll, we'll go back for like a, a previous game or whatever, just see when you're looking at your opposite number or you're looking at their 10. Or are their full back or their wing whoever's whoever's kicking at that time? Are you watching out for body language that you've seen on tape? Yeah, definitely. Like we'll watch, you know, little videos of what sort of kicks they, they can they can do or what like little cues they can pick up, body language, all sorts of things. Um, you know, I think body language is probably the biggest one with kicking. Um, if they're shaping early to kick into a corner or you know, like little grubbers and all that sort of thing. Um, but yeah, you can pick up little cues on, on video a lot of the time. I think one of the craziest things that um, I'm starting to realise, like talking to people, and I, I'm sure you were the same before obviously transitioning to Ulster and, and playing at high level, for instance. But it, it's one of those ones that no matter, like when fans are looking at it, from the outside, they'll say things like, oh, why did he not pick this person? Or why are they doing this tactic? Or I would have done this. But then when you actually talk to the people who are involved in the situation, like, for example, I was talking to a footballer and and what he was talking about was the tactics were, you know, about crowding the centre midfield to make it hard for the opposition to get the ball and to move it. Yeah. But, but when you listen to fans talk about it, they're like, oh, the manager should have done this, the manager shouldn't have done that. And we, when fans talk, they talk at a, about it at a very basic level, like a basic yeah. level of understanding. But when you're talking about professionals, like like you, like even you talking, you're watching for body language, you're watching for all these different cues, you're yeah. watching for a whole host of different things, and it's a lot more advanced than what we're actually seeing. Yeah, yeah, like there's the detail in any professional sport is mad. Like the 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 things that I've learned already in a couple of years have been, you know, playing for Ulster is ridiculous in, in terms of what I thought it was like uh, when I was in school. You know, just literally every single detail is, can be so important. And it is those little 1% that can be the winning and the losing of games at times. And um, like, yeah, like you say, you see, you see, you see all these comments about like, oh, we should have done this. Why, why are we kicking the ball? And you're like, that there's obviously a reason behind doing that at that time. Um, you know, like you just sort of have to take the pinch of salt sometimes. Like when you're when you read things, like because um, at the end of the day, all that matters is what goes on inside the club. Um, it doesn't matter really what happens outside or what anyone else is saying because it's irrelevant, really. Yeah, it's it's. The, the things that are coming to my mind right now, like I'm, I'm even thinking about, you know, like some of the conversations I've had about my friends watching boxing or 
or watching MMA or rugby and you're like, oh, you know, he, he should have he should have moved to the left. He should have moved to the right. He should have yeah. did this better. And like when you actually think about it, like you don't have a clue. <laughs> you really don't. <laughs> I know. I know. I know. Like even for us, well, like for me anyway, like I used to love playing football and like obviously love talk, like in talking about football and stuff, but I can't say that I have the same knowledge or detail of professional football or like because yeah. you just like you just don't know like what their tactics were on that day or or anything like are, are you still following football um yeah yeah who do you support as is this could make or break this podcast <laughs> um man united oh my goodness no way <laughs> uh, liverpool man myself <laughs> you're what sorry liverpool man <laughs> liverpool always one of the two isn't it like <laughs> it, it always is yeah so what have you thought about the Super League Glenn have you, have you heard much about that yeah oh, like it would ruin the Premier League like and the Champions League wouldn't it yeah it's, it's one of those things so from what my basic understanding of this whole is is that um, they want to run like a league format during the week that would replace the Champions League with the top 20 teams but yeah. there's no there's no relegation and you can earn your spot into this league um, but how it, it all goes down to like basis. It's it's probably a lot more in depth of like uh, like marketing how marketable it is. Yeah, it, it's more of it would completely replace the Champions League, and I think a lot of people were annoyed and heard about it because it was sort of scrubbing away a tradition. You know, like if you're saying, "Oh, Liverpool's not going to compete," or United's not going to compete in the Champions League from a Liverpool fan's perspective, you're saying, "Well, we've won six Champions Leagues," and you're saying that doesn't matter anymore. I know. I know it would be completely disrespectful, like in, in terms of that, like it's just it would be so easy, just because of the money's came in, really, isn't it? Like it's all about money. Yeah, well, I, I seen something. I'm not too sure how true it is, but I think it was like a pot between the twenty teams was going to be like six billion. That's crazy. That's like, crazy. I can even, like, I I can even picture what one million looks like in a room, let alone yeah. six billion. I know. I don't think it's going to go ahead. Like, it's sure it's not. It's good. No, um, what it, what it looks like at the minute, like I I wouldn't really follow many, like I wouldn't really follow anyone else other than Liverpool. It would be yeah. more um, what I seen last night was, which was quite a big statement. Was all the Liverpool players sort of came out on social media, and it, they it was like you know like a red box with red writing, and it was like we stand with the supporters. You know we aren't for this. Yeah. We were never for this. It's nothing to do with us. And then I seen that United started to follow suit, and then last. Last night, I think it was Liverpool's owner John Henry came out, and he, yeah. just, he just made a, a statement. Then it was it was more to be that rubbish. Like to be honest, he just came out and basically said sorry. It was never going to go ahead without the fan support. You know, it was always dependent on the fans. But I don't think that was true at all. I think it's just the uh, worldwide coverage of it and yeah. how negative it's been. Definitely, I I agree there. Like it's they've made that decision before they've thought about the fans. Like if they really. If they really, you know, cared about the fans that much, they would have definitely asked before, like, or definitely would have raised the the question before, like. Yeah, I I think so. To be honest, it was a wee bit of a, a crappy a crappy thing to do. To be honest, on the fans, but yeah. true, we'll, we'll move on then. And next thing is you were talking about uh, that Kobe Ram podcast. Did you watch uh, the Michael Jordan like the the documentary they did on Netflix? Oh. I think it was like the Bulls. Yes, the Last Dance. It was class. It was unreal. Wasn't it? it? He was like that. That yeah. was a man who's obsessed with winning. It was obsessed with winning. Yeah. yeah. Oh, it was. Yeah. Like I, I wouldn't have been big into like basketball or anything, but 
I watched that last dance and like you can take a lot from you know the, obviously like Michael Jordan, Kobe Bryant and you know you can take a lot from their their sort of like podcasts and like that last dance for sure. It was class. Really enjoyed it. I really enjoyed it as well. I think one of the things that, that stands out to me in it, which was which was a weird thing, it was it was the episode where they're all sort of on the on the on the bus and all the players are like gambling. And like Michael Jordan's gambling with them as he's beat the Emmons and then he goes to the front of the bus and he starts gambling with you know like the coaches who are or whoever it was for like a dollar. And they're like, Well, Michael, why are you gambling with us? You know, <laughs> like what are you doing that for? Like this money means nothing to you. And he's like, I just want to win. Like it's just the winning of it. Yeah. I just want to know that yeah. your money's in my pocket. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that was crazy, wasn't it? He just wanted to win anything. Like, it was always about winning anything, like, any bet, big or small. Yeah, there's, there's been loads of things that came out after that, and it was, like, you know, people who were friends with Michael Jordan who were, like, comedians and stuff have came out, and they're like, yeah, I remember where, like, we won, like, some silly competition against Michael, and he didn't talk to us for a week. Seriously, yeah, and it's just like wee things like that, like just win, just winning has to win. Yeah, yeah. But shows you why successful, yeah. like why he was so successful. Yeah, but he, I suppose he's not afraid of losing though either. Like, which is a good thing. So like, he's always up for a challenge. Like, he's always up for a bet or anything. Like, he's just he's not afraid of losing. But if he you know, really wants to win, obviously, it was even a the bet at the it was it was near the end of it. And they were playing against some team and there was some rookie playing against them and they get himself motivated for the game. Like he made up like all these things that this person was saying about him. Yeah. Uh, it's just, uh, it's just crazy. I, I love the whole, the whole documentary, but I'll ask you a couple of questions here and then I'll let you go. Cause I know I've kept you for quite a while here. Oh, good. So a couple of, a couple of fans submitted questions and, um, one of them is, you know, what was your very first senior training session like? Um, actually, remember being like really nervous for it. Uh, like it was, it was my like I was in the academy and I came in and like, um, I actually do remember just being nervous for it. Like, you know. You're not used to training with those sort of players. Like you've seen them around the, the stadium and stuff, but because back then the academy and the seniors were like sort of split off, um, and you wouldn't see an awful lot of them. So like you were just trying to get to know them a wee bit better, and you didn't really you didn't know any of them, any one really that well. Um, and but you're like you know your your first train sessions was like you know Charles Pitai and. You're just like this. This is crazy. It's crazy. Like I don't like. I, I don't think. I don't think I even trained like that well or anything. Like, and you're just like, so this is definitely a step up. Like, um, it was just you know so much quicker than I'd expected, and like because I'd been out for a long time as well, I didn't even really do an academy session after that. So like I'd been that was the period of the groin, and then I went straight into that sort of senior training. And I was like flip. <laughs> You know, like I'm real struggling for air here. Like the lungs were taking a hammer. Um, but yeah, it was enjoyable. Like, and it, but from then, like I realized what sort of intensity and you know what sort of things you need to get out of training to become better. Really, yeah. And then one of the other questions we've got for you is 
It's from a fella called Joel Stevenson, and he says, what makes playing at the Kingspan so special? Um, well, like, when, it's, when there's fans in it, like, it's hard to describe. Like, it's just that feeling of being backed. Like, you know, you've always got that. You know, it's so, to, to put it into, like, a thing from home, like, it, it, say if you're having people round to your house, you feel more comfortable. Like, you're just in your own space, your own environment. Um, and, you know, like, it just feels more natural and stuff. Whereas if you're away, like, you know, if you're at somebody else's house, then, you know, it's a wee bit different. And you're not as comfortable and things like that. But, like, I think because the, what makes it so special, I'd say, is, you know, just the fans and being back. Like, you know, you've got support. Like, they're they're cheering for you, not against you. Um. You know, those big European games when you win and you're with, like, you know, it's a tight game and you've just sort of, you know, you've beaten them in the last minute or something and, like, you know, the, the crowd's right behind you. Like, that's what makes it special, I suppose. Um, and just the complete sort of history and legacy of Kingspan and, and, and just being in that sort of, like, that, that history, you know, making history is probably what makes, makes it special. You're constantly making history um, when you're at Kingspan, like yeah. I think even if I if I added that a wee bit is you know something that 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 I love about Northern Ireland is that for our professional athletes and for anyone that's in this country and they're doing well, you know the people in Northern Ireland they want to see them succeed, they want to see them push further. That you can especially see it in, in, in boxing or, or anything like that. You know, like we want to see the people do well. We want to see our Ulster players get international caps. We want to see them win trophies for our footballers. We want to see them go across the water. For golf, yeah, we want to see them win championships. Definitely. Like there's definitely that sort of pride, isn't there? Like when some when, when things are going well, especially. You know, yeah. like you know, if it's like Carl Frampton and you know, like uh we're in a boxing match and the whole country is behind him, like because you want them to do well and you want you know you want your country to do well like yeah it's it's one of those weird experiences like i find myself like see the sports that that i love like say say for example liverpool or watching ulster or watching someone like box i feel nervous before like i'm not even competing or doing anything but i feel physically nervous yeah you know just just that anxious energy just wanting people to do well definitely yeah yeah <laughs> uh but we'll move on i've got two Three questions for you. Uh, one of them, favorite moment in an Ulster shirt. Oh, um, there's been a oh, there has been a few already. Um, like like we spoke about earlier, my first start for Ulster against Leicester was pretty special. Um, what else? First try for Ulster is always going to be a special one as well. Um. Another one was I was at, I came off the bench against Racing in um Highland Cup, sold out stadium and we won we go through. Um and final whistle it, it was just a class like the spirit of ninety nine. Well that the team that won the Highland Cup in nineteen ninety nine were there and it was just like a real special feeling then. That was that was one of my favourite moments as well. 
And then probably one more would be, I know we lost this game, but the Aviva, down at the Aviva against Leinster in the quarterfinal of Europe, like, I wouldn't say it was a favourite moment as such, but it was definitely like a moment I'll remember. Um, was, you know, playing in a sold-out stadium at the Viva, like 50,000 people. Um, and a game we, we definitely should have won. Um, but like, yeah, again, it was a pretty special moment in terms of just being able to be involved in that. But uh, obviously we lost, so it definitely wasn't a favourite moment, but it was definitely a special moment anyway. And we're coming up to the last couple of questions here. So the next one's from a fella called Dave Jackson. He says, you know, what's your preferred position? Um, I struggle to answer this every time. <laughs> like, um, I enjoy I definitely I enjoy them both. Like, I think long term, I'd love to play a, a bit of 10 again. Like, just to be, you know, you're always involved. Mm-hmm. you're just at the centre of everything and like I just you know it's something that you always want to be is just involved in everything um, and 15 in some games like you might not be involved in a, an awful lot like just because you're a wee bit more isolated and like you're not like yeah you don't really get the same involvement sometimes sometimes you do and it's brilliant and it's just a nice open game it's dry and things like that but yeah like no matter what sort of conditions it is, and you at ten, you'll always be involved. Yeah, and then this is sort of a, a two-parter. So, the best player that you've played with, and the best player that you've played against. Uh, best player I played with would probably be. I've got a few options. Um, Marcel Katia, mm-hmm. class. Um, John Cooney, because just well, particularly because you know we've played nine and ten together, and just know how you know good he is and what what he can create. And then, like I know he hasn't played an awful lot, but you know my first one well, again talking about my first start, but Will Allison, like he was. Um, he was just a real big influence on me, really, and like he he just creates things for you, and like he's just so silky, and he talks a lot. He talks a smart game and stuff, and like those little things that um people don't see, like that's just quality. I think when you're on the pitch, and um, you know, there's there's so many good players that I've played with, like um even you know like you know, James Shum I've played with for for years, like. Um, so we know each other inside out, and like we know that each what each other can create for each, you know each other and stuff. Um, and then player best player I've played against would probably be again I've got three options. <laughs> um, Finn Russell because I like you just don't know what he's going to do <laughs> really a lot of the time. He pulls something out of a hat. Um. Then uh, Anton Dupont and Tez and Colby. That's good options. <laughs> yeah, I'd probably say the best when I played against them was probably Tez and Colby. Definitely, you know yeah. 
I know I said that was the last question, but just as a follow, sorry, just as a follow up to that, have you ever asked any of those boys for their shirts? No, no, I haven't. But I've got the uh, Sam Zebu shirt. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> um, that was out of his generosity. Now, yes, I, I can imagine it was. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But I'll let you go because I think we've been talking here for two hours. <laughs> but I really appreciate you coming on. I really enjoyed talking to you. I would definitely have you on again. I've really enjoyed this episode. So thank you very much. I've enjoyed it as well. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me on. No problem. <laughs>